Good day, Beller family. For those joining us online, those here in the room with me, and those listening after the fact, I want to thank you for choosing to be with us on this Sunday. You know, it's uh, the, the LA Marathon is uh, going on right now. I'm so glad to be in here in the air conditioning. Uh, though I must say, we're going to go on a journey much further uh, than our friends running the 26.2 miles. We're going to go from Genesis all the way through Revelation. We're going to go to heaven and back. We're going to cover uh, all of human history in about, oh, 20 minutes. So, you guys ready for this? It'll be worth it when we get to the end. If you have your Bibles, open those up to Mark chapter 14. We're on the fourth week of a seven-week series headed all the way to Easter Sunday. And if you are in the room with me, our Pew Bibles is on page 827. If you are online, that's the New Revised Standard Version. You can join us there. This is Mark 14. Verses 12 through 16. And I want us to hear these words, for they are God's words. Let me read this for us. On the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and make the preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, Where's my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. So the disciples set out and went to the city and found everything as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover meal. This, my friends, is God's Word. Now, if you were to keep on reading, you would get to the moment where many Christians are very familiar with, where it says that Jesus took the bread, He broke it. So this is my body broken for you, and He took the cup and He poured it out. Now, many of us as Christians are familiar. Some of us call it the Lord's Supper. Some refer to it as the Eucharist. Some refer to it as Communion. And perhaps some of you, this is very familiar language. Even you see this table and you say, oh, I, I know, in about 20 minutes we're going to come forward, we're going to take the bread, we're going to dip in the cup, we're going to hear about Christ's body broken for us and Christ's blood shed for us. I know this story. Great. Let me check, let me check the store, scores. Let me check the weather. Let me check uh, my reservations for lunch. And yet it's so essential for us to not miss that there's a lot more to this table than we think. Yes, there's bread. Yes, there's cup. But there's also a lamb. Now, some of you might be saying, wait, hold on, where's the lamb? I, I like this now. Okay, bread, it's not much food. You know, juice, you know, I wish it was wine, but it's just juice, that's okay. But a lamb, I like the lamb. Where's the lamb? Well, every Lord's Supper, every Eucharist, every communion, there is a lamb. And yet we forget there's a lamb. We know the bread, we know the cup, but, but where? Where is the lamb? You see, as Christians here in 2015, we look back on that meal, and we look at it through the cross, and we see Christ's body broken. Oh, yeah, that's the bread. We see his blood shed for us. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's the cup. But where? Where is the lamb? Drew, why, why would you even say that there is a lamb? Well, you see, if you open up the Bible again, you'll notice what we just read, which you just listened to, verse 12 of chapter 14 of Mark, it says, on the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. 
when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. You see, the Passover lamb is a very central part, in fact, the, the main course, the essential meal at that table that night. In fact, the Passover meal, which is still being celebrated today, my Jewish friends refer to the beginning of Passover, that meal is the Seder meal. Perhaps some of you celebrate that meal or have friends that do. Perhaps some of you will be invited this year to a Seder meal. Well, it's essential to know that, yes, there's bread, yes, there's cups, but there's also a lamb at this meal. And in fact, it says here that everything was prepared, everything was there at that Passover meal. The Passover meal began at a certain point in the nation of Israel's history. And that meal has continued year after year for over 3,000 years. It's the longest known historical meal that's happened on this planet. Over 3,000 years, God's people, the nation of Israel, has celebrated this meal together. Well, where did it begin? And Drew, where's that, where's that lamb? You said a lamb. Where's that lamb? Well, let's, let's go on this journey together. Let's start all the way back in Genesis. I'm going to go even before the Exodus. Let's go to Genesis. You have it? Get those Bibles out. We're going to Genesis 22. We're going to fly through here. I cannot run a four-minute mile, but I can flip to Genesis 22 pretty quickly. And if you get to Genesis 22, as I begin to read this, you might become familiar with this, this passage, the first reference to a lamb in Scripture. Verse 1 of Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, Abraham said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will show you. Now pause right there. And just a little primer here, just a reminder where we're, we are at this moment in, in Scripture. There's a man named Abram. He's been infertile his entire life with his wife Sarai. And God promises that through Abram that he will have so many descendants that there will be more than the, the stars in the sky. And that God would make a nation out of Abram's descendants. That the whole world would be blessed through Abram's descendants. At that covenant, at that promise, Abram's name is changed to Abraham. After many years, he finally has a son, Isaac. Finally, God has made good on his promise. We know this story. Perhaps you're familiar with this. But then God says, I want you to sacrifice, sacrifice your son. He leads him up that hill. Verse 7, chapter 22 of Genesis. Isaac says to his father, Abraham, Father, he said, here am I, my son. He said, the fire and the wood are there, but where is the lamb? Where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Now, I can't imagine what Abraham and Isaac are thinking in this moment. I, I took my son camping for the first time two nights ago. I'm still recovering. We did not sleep at all. When you take a two-year-old camping and you share a tent with your son and your stepdad in a two-person tent, will you say, I'll never do that again, the two-person tent. I, I want to go camping again, but not a two-person tent and three of us in it. But that, that time that we, that we shared around the campfire, enjoying food, I mean, the, the memories, the, the, the bonding, the, the intimacy of our family. 
For a son to say to the father, Father, where is the lamb? And for the father, Abraham, to say to his son, the Lord will provide. But if you know this story as it begins to unfold, you see that actually a lamb is not provided in this scene. Yes, Abraham takes Isaac, his son, up to sacrifice him, but an angel Lord comes, stops him, and all of a sudden a ram appears out of the thicket. Not a lamb, a ram. Now, I don't know animals very well, but I know the lamb is very different than a ram, so a ram comes, and so still that question is left hanging. Where is the lamb? And Abraham says, God will provide a lamb, my son. That question hangs, where is the lamb? And fast forward here. Flip with me to Exodus 12. And as you were turning there, much happens in Israel's history. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob's name becomes Israel. He becomes the father of 12 tribes. The, the nation of Israel gets larger and larger. God's people have an identity. They have a mission. They are led into Egypt the whole story of Joshua, and then a new Pharaoh rises up who forgets who Joshua is and how God used him to save their land, and so now they are enslaved for over 400 years in Egypt. And the, the, the groanings, the cries of the nation of Israel cry out, and God hears their cries and uses a man named Moses. You know this story. Many of you know. Or at least you've seen the Charlton Heston film. Or if you've got kids, you saw, you know, Prince of Egypt, or maybe Gods and Kings, you saw this last year. You're familiar with this story, and God, in rescuing the nation of Israel, unleashes these plagues one after another so that the world would know who God is and who these people are that God loves so much. And it gets down all the way to the tenth and final plague. They get worse and worse and worse until this moment. Chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall mark for you the beginning of months. Something so significant happens, their calendar changes. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, remember that, store that in the back of your mind, the 10th day of this month, on the 10th day of this month, they are to take a lamb for each of their family, a lamb for each household. If the household is too small for a whole lamb, it shall join its closest neighbor in obtaining one. The lamb shall be divided in proportion to the number of people who eat of it. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a year old male. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. Keep that in your mind. They get it on the 10th. They keep it till the 14th. Remember that. And then it says this. Then... In verse 6, then the whole assembled congregation of Israel shall slaughter it at twilight. They shall take some of the blood, put it on the two doorposts, and lintel the houses in which they eat it. And then it begins to describe how they should prepare it. And then if you go up to verse 12 on the top of page 51, it says this, for I, this is God speaking, for I will pass to the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals, on all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land 
of Egypt. Now, some of you hearing this for the first time are like, what is this all about? This is odd. This is so ancient. How, how, how harsh? I mean, this is just, this is weird. Now, when you see at this point, there's this thing that I need us to remember for something for us to take away, that at this moment, God is saying that no one is safe. God is saying to his people, no one is safe, no one is pure, no one is holy, no one has it all together, and I'm going to come, and the destroyer is going to come, and judgment shall be executed. And some of you are like, what? This is intense. But God provides a way out. He says that simply, if you put your faith in this lamb, if you sacrifice, if you take the blood and if you cover it over the doorpost, then literally this destroy, this angel of death will literally pass over your household. And we get this picture that God is saying there's not a, a line drawn in the sand that says who's out and who's in. It's easy for us to think that way, that, you know, there's, there's insiders and there's outsiders, and we look down our nose at outsiders, and we kind of corral us as insiders together. He says, no, 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 the line isn't drawn on the sand to know who's in and who's out. The line is drawn through every human heart. Every single human has a propensity for both good and for bad. We're all broken. We're all in need of help. We're all in need of rescue. We're all in need of deliverance. And so those households, they had to put their faith in this lamb, and they sacrificed it. It was a substitute. Because literally, after that angel of death, the last plague came through. There was, there was one dead in each household. It was either the firstborn son, or it was this lamb. It wasn't both. It wasn't neither. It was one or the other. And so God rescues the nation of Israel in their haste, they have to leave. They're let out into the desert, the whole parting of the Red Sea, 40 years wandering in the desert, they finally make it to the promised land. And year after year after that Passover event, a meal was shared. It was described in Deuteronomy in very specific detail for God's people to gather every single year to sit down at a meal at the beginning of Passover, at the beginning of this festival, and there would be bread. In fact, it would be unleavened bread as a reminder that they had to flee so quickly. In Deuteronomy, it says that when the household begins to go through this whole process, that it's actually something that the whole community does. There's men, there's women, there's children. In fact, the youngest child will ask the question, Father, why is tonight different than every other night? And as they spend hours, some go past midnight in the early hours of the morning, they begin to hear, they begin to remember their history, and it enacts in them this, this memory that they are God's people that have been rescued. In fact, there's four cups that are described, and each of those cups comes from a different verb of God's deliverance in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. And this bread, this bread of affliction is a significant part of the meal. But there's always this lamb, that's this roasted lamb that is enjoyed, that is partaken, that is shared, so that they would remember that it was their faith in this lamb, this gift of God, this sacrifice of God that was a substitutionary atonement, a sacrifice. 
It wasn't their good deeds. It wasn't their good works. It wasn't them being on the inside or the outside. It was simply their faith in this lamb that caused the angel of death to pass over them. And so year after year, God's people would gather together. They would bring the bread. They would bring the cups. They would add more to it. There would be bitter herbs. There would be the reading of different psalms. I've, I've sat in on a few Seder meals with my Jewish friends. The Seder is the, the meal at the beginning of Passover, and there's so many elements to it. But always there was bread, there was always cup, and there was always, always a lamb. And I find it so fascinating that when Jesus, in his ministry, chooses to say what he says at that meal, you see, every time people brought in the bread, every time people brought in the cups, every time they brought in the lamb, they would also take that with them afterwards. Not on plates, but they would have ingested it. They would literally walk into a room with all of the elements of the meal, and they would leave with all the elements of that meal ingested. They would show up with their sacrifice, but they'd also take it with them. Every time they gathered, and every time they left, it would happen year after year, 3,000, over 3,000 years still. God's people, the nation of Israel is still celebrating this meal until that night. You see, it's essential for us to know that there wasn't just bread, there wasn't just cups, but there was also a lamb at that table. Take a look at Mark 14. Let's look at that one more time. Mark 14, verse 12. On the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and make the preparations for you to eat the Passover? You see, this Passover meal was like every other Passover meal. Yes, there was bread. Yes, there was cup. Yes, there was lamb at that table, on the table. And yet in Matthew's gospel, in Mark's gospel, in Luke's gospel, in John's gospel, none of them reference them eating lamb at that table. They eat the bread. They eat the cup. They drink from the cup. But we don't see them. There's, they could have. They might not have. But every gospel writer makes it a point not to say that at that table they ate of the Passover lamb. Yet every Passover had to have a lamb. You see, this Passover meal was unlike any other Passover meal. Because the one who led that meal. You see, when Jesus sat down as he began to preside over the meal, I wonder if they remembered what John the Baptist said about Jesus the first time he saw Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold, it's him. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Did they remember that? I wonder. When Jesus sat down, when he took the bread of affliction and he broke it, and he said, this is, this is my body. 
broken for you? Did did they remember what John the Baptist said? Behold, the Lamb of God, he, He takes away the sins of the world. I wonder if the disciples at that table, did they remember that when he took the cup, the cup of redemption, the third cup, and poured it out and said, this is my blood poured out for you. The cup of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Did the disciples remember John the Baptist saying, behold, the Lamb of God, he, he, he takes away the sins of the world. When we come to the table, when we partake of the bread, when we drink of the cup, do we hear, do we, do we see what John the Baptist says? Behold the Lamb of God. He, Jesus, He takes away the sins of the world. You see, there was a lamb at that table. What was more significant was Not the lamb on the table, but the lamb of God at the table. You see, Jesus Christ is referred to in Isaiah, in 1 Peter, in Revelation, in the book of Hebrews, all throughout Scripture that He is the lamb of God. And He takes away the sins of the world. He pays it all once and for all. After the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70, it was impossible for them to sacrifice lambs. And so God's people began to to shift. They began to alter the matzah part of the meal. And I've sat at Seder meals, and I know that they will actually take the matzah, three pieces out out of the matzah tosh. It's this this little pouch. And the leader will take that matzah out and will take the middle of the three matzahs, this unleavened bread, and we'll take it and break it, and half of it will be distributed, half of it will be enjoyed, and the other half, which is referred to as the afikomen, will be wrapped in a linen cloth and hidden somewhere in the house so that at the end of the meal, the kids will run around the house looking for the half of that bread, the afikomen. When they find it, this is great joy. They found this, this broken bread that's been hidden, wrapped in cloth and found. When Jesus, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, takes that bread and as He breaks it, He said, this is my body broken for you. We can look at the cross and we can say, wow, his body was broken for us. But we can also say with our friends as we sit perhaps at a Seder meal this year, as we watch them wrap up the afikomen in a linen cloth and hide it in the house, we can point to the fact that Jesus too was wrapped in a linen shroud, hidden, buried in a tomb to be found again at the resurrection. With great joy we can find that. And so not only do we take the bread not just the bread of affliction, but we also take the afikomen, this truth that he's been hidden but now found again. Something so significant. Remember I said the 10th of the month and the 14th of the month? Remember that? So God's people, the nation of Israel, always on the 10th of that first month, that month was called Nisan, N-I-S-A-N, on that 10th month, that's when they got their lamb, their one-year-old unblemished lamb. And when you think about at that moment in the first century when Jesus is celebrating that Passover meal, 
That moment has already happened where all the households already got their lamb. The disciples already got their lamb. In fact, the day in which everyone got their lamb, there was this huge procession of lambs coming up from a town, a little town called Bethlehem. And as it made its way into the city of Jerusalem, tens of thousands of these sacrificial Passover lambs to be sold, to be slaughtered four days later, there is one, the Lamb of God, walking in the midst of tens of thousands of lambs. And as he walks in to Jerusalem, as they begin to sing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're singing Psalm 118, which is the last hymn of every Passover. You can read later, if you go to Mark 14, if you look all the way at the end in verse 26, when they had sung the hymn, it doesn't say what the hymn is, but every Jewish person knows, oh, I know what the hymn is, it's the great Hallel. It's Psalm 116 through Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. They were singing that. On the same day that they got their Passover lambs, he came into town. And those days went by. Well, yes, those Passover lambs were in their possession, in their household. And on the twilight of the 14th, it's essential to know that in Jewish view of the world that the day begins at sundown. It doesn't begin at midnight like for, for other people in the world. It begins at sundown. So twilight was the end of the 14th day. Which if you look at the chronological order of all of this, it is the very beginning of the 14th day that they sit down and enjoy this Passover meal. You might say, I don't care about that. Get, get to the point. What's, what's that all about? This is so essential because they actually take the meal a little too early. At the beginning of the 14th day, as night has hit, the beginning of that day, they begin to sit down and enjoy this meal, bread and cup. And it says, if you remember in Deuteronomy, remember that? At twilight on the 14th day, all the lambs shall be slaughtered in the assembly. At twilight, on the 14th day, all the lambs shall be slaughtered. Do you realize what happened on the end of the 14th day at twilight? Jesus had been on the cross for hours. And at 3 p.m., which in the Jewish calendar was twilight, the last sacrificial lamb was sacrificed. At the same moment, the last lamb outside the temple was sacrificed. So where is the lamb? Well, in the book of Revelation, it says that it's not on a table, it's on a throne. The book of Revelation gives this picture of Jesus as the Lamb of God, not sacrificed alone, but sacrificed now alive on a throne. So when you come forward in a moment, you take the bread and you take the cup, you can have the answer to that question, where is the lamb? He's not on the table because he's on the throne. And when you come to this table, you don't have to carry that sacrifice to the table and then take it back with you. It's already been paid for. Your debt has been paid. You've been freed for all of eternity. And so when you come and you eat and you enjoy the cup, know that the lamb is on the throne, high above over all, who knows your brokenness, who knows your needs, who knows the dreams that you have, 
Who knows what you're going through right now in your marriage? Who knows the struggle that you have with that new news that just came in? As you struggle with infertility or unemployment, the things that you're going through with your kids or your grandkids or your parents or your siblings or your roommates or your coworkers, he knows exactly what is going on. But it's not just something on a plate. It's someone on a throne who has paid it all and who invites you to be with him. Let's pray. God, it's remarkable when we consider the truth of your love. And as we watch this video, God, I pray that we would not only see the events of the cross, but we would also understand the backstory of the Exodus and the Passover lamb, of bread at a table, cup at a table, but the Lamb of God sacrificed for us. God, we thank you for your love, and it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. We have a video that I like to share with us. in remembrance of me.